How are you all? Listen, would you do me a favor? We want to we talk about something very, very serious this morning. And so I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. And I would love for you to find Philippians chapter 4 while you're at it. Um, I want to I want to cross reference these two things, and and if you don't mind, um, I want to ask you that we we jump around from verses to verses because I want to make uh, I want to make a case t- today concerning what God has to say about uh, contentment and money. We, we've come to a very very critical place in the Word of God concerning the family of God, and we're talking about. Uh, what it means to really be content. I want you to read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to read with me from verses 6 through 10. Um, As I have said to you before, often, almost every week, um, we don't try to duck and hide from what the Lord has for us. We've now come to a part where where Paul is teaching Timothy and us how critical it is for us to understand what true contentment means and, and how money does not fulfill that contentment. What, what I want to try to do this morning, if possible, is to, is to allow you and me to find out what does God say about money? What is, what is it that, 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 that is the purpose of it within the Word of God? Now, I want you to know that I, I don't like Ah, that's not fair. I guess I'm intimidated to, to ask or to, to deal with money. Um, as you're going to find out this morning, I'm not really asking for money, but I want you to hear what the Lord God says to all of us concerning our finances. Look, I know just as well as you do that these are difficult times. I understand it. I, I, I get it. Um, we're taking a good hard look at our own uh, budget and finances within our family as well. And uh, we're talking very seriously, Kay and I, about what we're going to do and how we're going to manage. Um, so I, I understand that. But I also understand what God has to say about finances. And I also understand that there's no way that you and I will be able to outgive God. Now, as I was reminded in... In, in, in the uh, multi-purpose room, as we talked about it, someone came to uh, service last night, it, we, don't, we don't consider giving so that we can get back. It's, it's like what I do up here. I, I don't consider this something that's going to win me brownie points with God. And I don't look at it that way at all. I just look at it doing what God's called me to do. Same thing within our fan- finances. God asks us to care for our, our finances. So I, I guess enough said. I, enough said. Let's read, please, verses 6 through 10. Uh, let, me, let me just ask you to look back at verse 5. We looked at it last week. We talked about those who had constant friction between men of depraved mind, those who were deprived of the truth, those who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. Well, Paul now says... But godliness actually is a mean of great gain when it is accompanied by contentment. He says we've brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, 
With these we shall be content. He goes on to say in verse 9, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. He says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Now before I pray, I want you to know, key to this in verse 9 is the word want. Look, at, I'm going to show you without question that God does not care how wealthy you may be. In fact, God is the one who allows you, if you are wealthy, to be wealthy, and you need not be ashamed of it. Just don't be. Because it is God who has gifted you. But be careful through that word want. Because wanting will cause some to be tempted and to fall into a snare and do many foolish and harmful things which will plunge them into ruin and destruction. Because the love of money, not money, but the love of it, is the root of all sorts of evil, as it says in verse 10. And some, by longing for this wealth, have wandered away from the faith. That, that to me, is one of the most terrible things that we can read in this section of Scripture. Before I pray, I, I want to share with you, I've now been in ministry long enough that I have seen things happen. Uh, a while back, when, when, when our economy was very healthy and, uh, and, and, and people were making money, it seemed very easily. Uh, things went well for so many people. There were those that, that, that made money and, and done, did so well that they finally were able to buy that, that second home, that, that, that home that they wanted, say, up in Big Bear or Lake Arrowhead or, or out by the beach. And, and enjoying this success that they were having and, 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 and bonding the family together, they decided to, to get away a little bit, to go away on weekends and, 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 and maybe buy a boat and water ski and, and, and enjoy, enjoy this time. And I watched families go through this process, kind of stay away from church certain weekends because they just were bonding with the family. And they wandered away from the faith. And when their children got older and, and went off to school, college, they were used to not going to church on weekends. So they didn't go to church. One family in particular I'm thinking about is, I was very close to them, baptized their children, baptized their kids. I was... They had Bible studies in their home, and I, they asked me there to, to speak every once in a while. This was quite a while ago. And I would go and, and enjoy these young people. This young, young man grew up to go to college. He went off to Cal Berkeley. There he got inducted into secularism, and, and, and the professors were telling him how there is no God and, and all of that. And sure enough, because his family had some success and they were wandering away from the faith, they weren't coming to church regularly, 
He stopped going to church altogether when he went off to college. Met a young girl he fell in love with, and, and she was an atheist, and he bought into that whole thing when he came back home. He was engaged. Family called me and said, we need your help. Our son has gone astray. I talked to him, and I must say to you, one thing I, I remember very vividly about him, this young man was just kind of like, a, he try, treated me like a, I was a hero of sorts. <laughs> I, I know, I, I wasn't, but, but that's the way I was treated. But when he came back home from college, boy, he was arrogant. He had nothing to do with me. He thought I was about as dumb as a rock. Um, I was always dumb as a rock. He just didn't realize it. But I tried to share with him as, as deeply as I knew how and as, as strongly as I knew how about his faith, and he just rejected it completely. And, and I thought of the family, and I thought, man, I bet they wished they never bought that place. I bet they wished they didn't go up skiing as often as they did. I bet they wished that they didn't stay away from church. I, I bet they wished a lot of things. When all of a sudden you're hit with this, with this reality of, of, of what wandering away from the faith will do, it's a fearful thing, especially when it affects your children. And so let's face it. This is a wonderful place in Scripture, and we need to take caution with it because God has given us a warning. He is asking us to be content, but to be content with what we have. And I want to teach that to you as best I know how. So please, please pray with me. I mean, let's face it. I, I, uh, I'm not really great at talking about things like this. I, 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 I'm just not. For whatever reason it is, I don't know. But... Um, but I fear God more than I do my own emotions, and so I'm going to teach the best I know how this section of Scripture. Father in heaven above, we are a church that honors your word, and we are a church that hopefully loves you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all that we are. And Father, we want to be... Um, faithful to your word. And so we study it, Father, as we believe the apostles passed along to us, and that is word upon word, line upon line. We take each, each book that you have written, Father, and we take it seriously. We believe this is a letter that has been written to Timothy from Paul. But Father, Paul was inspired by you, and it is really your words to all of us, not just Timothy not just the church at Ephesus. It's to all of us. And now we've come to a place, Father, that tells us that godliness actually is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. So, Father, what does contentment mean to you? And what does it mean to us? I ask that you move me aside. I desperately ask you this, Father. If, if ever I've asked you this, I ask it now. Allow us to hear your heart, not mine, please. If there's anything in here, Father, that I want to, to use for any reason other than that we would get to know you better, would you please, Father, move it from my mind, not even allow me to speak it. 
Would you open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, I'm very serious about this topic. I think it's the essence of life. I think apart from where it talks about us in Acts that we should be encouraging one another, uh, helping each other grow in the faith, uh, helping each of us to become um, mature so that we can start using our gift within the body of Christ to build each other up. I think this is next to that in my mind. I want you to find out for yourself, how does a child of God, how do you and I find true satisfaction in life, true contentment? Now I ask you to hold, hold your place here. I ask you to find Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians just to the left a little bit. It's, you'll, just, you'll go past 1st, uh, 2nd uh, Thessalonians, Colossians, and then you'll find Philippians for men's breakfast the other morning, I, I, I spoke on, on this, not knowing that I was going to speak on this this morning. It says, listen to Paul's words. Paul says, I do not, verse 11, not that I speak. He says, I do not speak from want. Note what Paul says. He says, for I have learned. I, I, would, I would want you to think about that word, learned, for a moment. In other words, this is not something that just comes to Paul. This is something that Paul had to learn. He says, for I have learned to be content. Oh, this whole idea of contentment is a learned process, Paul says. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, but he says, I also know how to live in prosperity. In other words, Paul says, I've been rich and I've been poor, and I've learned to be content in both situations of my life. In any and every circumstance, he says, note Paul says again, that I have learned and now he says, the secret. Okay, this is great. This is something that you, you and I should concentrate on. He's learned a secret. He's learned how to be filled or go hungry. He has learned how to have an abundance and also suffering need. So Paul, what did you learn? What is the secret that has taken you from good and bad, difficult times, what is the secret? Well, it's verse 13, of course. He says, I can do or handle all, all of these things through Him, Jesus Christ, who has strengthened me. So what we learn from this particular place in Scripture, which I absolutely adore, Philippians Four, verses 11 through 13, Paul says that he has learned that he can do or handle all of these things that comes into his life through Christ who will strengthen him. You and I need to learn that. Look, no matter how much we teach you here at this church about being content or about being satisfied, there 
comes a time when you have to realize that to truly grasp the truths that you are learning from us here at this church, you have to do it yourself. It doesn't come through osmosis. It is a learned experience. It is connected to a secret. And the secret that must be learned is that you and I can do all things through Christ who will strengthen us. It doesn't come any other way. It comes through maturity. It comes through growth. It comes through knowing Christ so well that he strengthens you in the times of prosperity as well as the times of want. And I think, personally, I think the times of prosperity are sometimes more difficult for the family of God than those times when we are in trouble and and in need because those are the times when you kind of really reach up and say, oh God, please help me. But when things are going well, sometimes you think, I'm I'm okay. I, I, I know how to do this. You see, true satisfaction and contentment happens through knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ and He alone. There's no other way. He will strengthen you and me, and He does that at, at the perfect time. I, I've asked you to remember, memorize First Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you at that proper time. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Yes, he does. Now, I want you to remind yourself, if you please turn back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, that there's, there's pain that is connected to the love of money, verse 9 and 10. The desire or wanting to get rich. Because some who have wanted and desired this so desperately have little by little wandered away from the faith in pursuit of these so-called riches, which so-called will bring you and me contentment. I want us to look at the remaining 20 minutes or so. What does God say about true contentment? What does He say about your finances See, most people believe if, that if we have enough money, money will bring us contentment. Now, I think about it. I mean, I mean let's face it. If, if I had the money of Bill Gates, I mean, how could things be bad? But I would, I, would, I would venture a guess that if he were here right now, he would tell you, oh, man, oh, man, I, I, I probably would trade places with some of you. Now, I don't know that he'd say that. I'd I don't know. I just know that I've also been around enough people that are very, very wealthy. And some of them are very, very sad and discontented. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say to me, you know, if I win the lottery, you'll never have to worry. This church will be set. And I think, well, that'd be wonderful. Hope you'll win it. I personally don't gamble, so I don't mess with a lottery. Not, that, that was, that's neither here nor there. But I'll tell you this. If, if a person doesn't give unto the Lord with the money that they now have, whether it be a lot or a little, hitting the lottery more than likely will may, probably not make them a, finally a true giver unto God. 
Normally this newfound money won't make them truly contented either. In fact, the, the, Bible, the Bible has all kinds of warnings against, well, as we've just read, wanting and loving money and believing that that, that finally will make you content. Jesus Christ says this. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, I, I, I will ask you to turn to some of these places. This one I'm not going to ask you to because you know it. He says, for where your treasure is, there will be your, what? Your heart. There your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so it would be a good measure in your life as well as it is for mine. Kay and I went through this pretty deeply. Talked about it very, very seriously. Where's our treasure? Where's our heart? I find one of the deepest truths within the Word of God is this, this question. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? How serious do you believe in church? How serious is all that we do here? What a person does with their Finances is one of the truest measures of their spiritual maturity. I know that doesn't sound right, but it is. A wise old saint taught very clearly to some new converts coming to Christ. He said this about their newfound faith. He said, I, I'm going to give you six months, he said, in your faith. I want you to come to church faithfully. I'll meet you every week. And after six months, he says, I want to take a look at two things in your life, your checkbook and your tithing record. He says, if I can see your checkbook and your tithing record, I will be able to tell you exactly how faithfully you desire to walk with the Lord. One of the last things to go within our faith normally is our, our giving unto the Lord, properly giving. Now, you need to know this. When it talks to giving, he's not talking about a percentage. No, no, no. He says you, you're to give what you can joyfully give unto the Lord. And if that joy is only a buck, then you, can, you shouldn't give a dollar and a penny. If that penny makes you dread that you gave, then don't give that penny. Give just the buck. But goodness, you go to a nice restaurant, they, they're expecting now, I think, well, the other day I went to a restaurant and Really enjoyed, really had a great time, and, and, and I, I'm smart. I, I want you to do this. Whenever you go to a nice restaurant, always ask them, did you already add the tip? I used to not ask, and I'd automatically put in the tip, and I, I, they double-dipped me. They put in the tip, and then I put in the tip. And I'll tell you another thing. I normally tip them more than they ask. So I did the other day. I asked the young man. I said, was the tip already put in? He said, yeah. I said, how much you get? He said, 18%. I said, I would have given you a little more. But I said, that's enough for you, I guess. <laughs> if I give a restaurant that gave me fairly good service, but this guy doesn't care about me, 18% is 10% until... This is just me, not you. Listen, you can listen into my heart. Is 10% enough to the Lord? No, it's not. Not for me and my wife. Now, that's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not asking for your money, but I'm just saying... The Bible doesn't ask for a percentage. The Bible asks for what you can joyfully give unto the Lord.
So what does the Lord say about money? First, and we're going to look at these verses, and we're going to, we'll get through on time, I promise you that. You have to realize that money is not wrong in the eyes of God. You're being wealthy. You don't have to worry. If you have a beautiful home, enjoy it. If you have a beautiful car, enjoy it. Don't, you know, just enjoy what God has given you. And realize it is a gift that has been given to you from God Almighty. Listen, please turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. You see up on the board, I'm going to read you out of 1 Samuel so we don't have to go to too many places. And, and it's the shortest one. Find 1 Chronicles if you have a tendency to look in your Bible where we're going and look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me read to you, while you're looking for these places, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he also exalts. So, what we learn from 1 Samuel 2, 7, it is the Lord who makes either poor or rich. It's his business. In 1 Chronicles, and now i got to get there. Excuse me. I, I know almost, uh, my Bible almost turns, yeah, it turns to it so automatically. Uh, because I look at this place a lot. It talks about something that I've taught without, I taught this principle before I understood 1 Chronicles chapter 29. What I talked about was the cycle of giving. I believe that God, in his wisdom, has given to every single one of us a spiritual gift. But he also has given to every one of us whatever it is that he so desires for us to have. He gives to us so that we take whatever he has given us and we take whatever portion of that we want and give it back to him. With your spiritual gift, I would hope that you give everything that he has given you back to him. Joyfully. You give to him, he ends up giving back to you. You give to him, he ends up giving back to you. That's also the principle with yours and my finances. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10. David blessed the Lord in the sight of everybody, the whole assembly. And he said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. You, O Lord, is greatness. And you, O Lord, is power and glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, he says in verse 11, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, you are dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Now look what David says in verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen every single one of us. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. Then he says in verse 14, and who, are, who am I? And who are our people here that we should be able to offer as generously as we do? For everything comes from you and from your hand we have given to you. Cycle of giving. It comes from you, and from your hand we give back to you, he says in verse 14. He says in verse 15, we are sojourners. As all of our fathers were, our days on this earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. In other words, there's no hope apart from you, is what David is saying. 
And then he says in verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from your hand. It's all yours. It's all yours. Turn to the left to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to this warning that Moses hands out. And please don't ever forget this warning. This to me uh, makes me shudder. Verse 11 of chapter 8. Beware, Moses says, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I'm commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and you are satisfied and you built your good homes and you've lived in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiplies and all that you have multiplies, then in your heart it becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 16, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers didn't know of, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Verse 17, Otherwise you might say in your heart, My power, the strength of my hand, made me this wealth. But you should remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you the power to make wealth, and it is He that may confirm, confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as He did to this day. Listen, folks, you can read through this if you want to, but let me just say what you've already read with me. Don't you dare forget. Don't you dare think it's by your power and your might that you have whatever it is that you have. And don't you dare forget that God has given you something asking that you give it back to Him in return. A portion thereof at least. So, it's not wrong for us to believe in our hearts. On the way back, stop at Proverbs. It's not wrong for you and I to believe in our hearts uh, or to be ashamed that we have whatever wealth it is that we have. God has given it to us. Proverbs, please. Chapter 11, please. Once you understand that it is God who has given you whatever it is you have, then God says, I want you to share it with others. If it is your spiritual gift, I want you to share it with the church and give it back to me, says God, so that I can reload and give you more. I have found this so to be true. So to be true. In Proverbs chapter 11, we see that, that it says there is one, verse 24, listen now, listen please, there is one who scatters, and what? And yet increases all the more. In other words, there's someone who gives, gives and gives and gives and gives, and yet still increases. And there is another, it says in verse 24, who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in one. In other words, there's some that keep and keep and keep and seem to have holes in their pockets. They just don't ever seem to have enough. 
verse 25, it says, The generous person will be prosperous, and he who waters will be himself watered. Do you see the principle? If you want to stop, if, you, if you're quick with your Bible, look at Luke on the way back to 1 Timothy, Luke chapter 6. Just as simply and yet perhaps more powerfully said, Luke says in chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, either that's the truth or it's not. You're going to have to deal with that in your own heart. Let God speak to you. I, I'm just reading it. Give, and it will be given to you. It will pour into your lap, rest of verse 38, a good measure. It'll be pressed down. It'll be shaken together. It'll run over. Really? I mean, really, God, is that true? Watch this statement, the end of verse 38. For by your standard of measure... It will be measured to you in return. What's God saying here? What do these words that we've just read out of Proverbs chapter 11 and Luke chapter 6, what do these words really mean? Are you and I hearing what, what is important? What, what, what we give, we will get back in return? It sounds to me like God is teaching us clearly this whole cycle of giving thing, doesn't it? And so... We learn that it is God who has gifted us with our finances. Uh, it's not wrong in God's eyes for you to be rich if you're rich. But it also is taught to us that we ought to also give back to others what we have or a portion thereof. You see, because God says that the money that you and I have it's just for use here on earth. We, we can't take it with us into heaven. You can't, can't kind of uh, hoard it. Can't. Listen to Job's words. You don't need to turn there. He says, naked, Job does, chapter 1, verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Since it is God who gives and God who takes away, therefore those who have money or a position should not be proud of what they have. We shouldn't give preferential treatment to those who have lots of money and, and those who don't have money. It is God who's made us just as we are. And James, I read this to you last week. He says, listen, please. He says, my brethren, James does, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. God doesn't work that way. And then he tells us this story. Remember, he said, there's two guys that walk into your church. One of them, he says, is pretty rich looking. Has nice clothes, gold rings. The other one walking right in behind him is poor looking. Dirty clothes, doesn't look like he's got anything. He says, you shouldn't say to the one who has, looks like he's wealthy, ooh, come sit here. Make yourself comfortable. And to the other one, just go sit over there somewhere. 
just go. No, he says you do that, you've made a huge mistake because he said you've made a distinction among yourselves and you became a judge with an evil motive. You know, we're not to do that. It is God who has given and it is God who has taken away. And blessed be the name of our Lord, says Job. So if you're in back into 1 Timothy, and you're in chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 17 with me for a moment. Then if God gives and God takes away, then where ought we to fix our hope? Do we fix our hope on our wealth? Do we fix our hope on our position in life? No, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, verse 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Amen to that. Amen to that. All of us have seen what has happened to the economy of our world in which we live right now. Who knows what times we are living in? Who knows that this might not be the time where everything goes to a one-world government? We're, we've got a president that's talking about global unity. Gosh. No, we're not to fix our hope, it says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, on the uncertainty of riches. We're to fix our hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, the person who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous person will flourish like the green leaf. Jesus says it best. 6.33 of Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And all of these things shall be what? They'll be added unto you. They will be. See, Back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we're going to look at this more deeply in time. But a person whose life is all about money, wanting it, passionate to try to, to, to obtain it, loving the, the idea of being wealthy, that person, the Bible says, is going to find a sad road ahead of themselves. We are told in verse 9 that they will fall into temptation. We are told in verse 9 that there is a snare and many foolish and harmful desires lie ahead of them. We are told in verse 9 that this, this desiring, this money can, can and will plunge them into ruin and destruction. I'm warning us. I'm warning us. And worse, verse 10, my longing for riches, some have wandered away from the faith that makes me want to cry. I don't want any of us to wander away from our faith. And by wandering away from our faith, it says in verse 10 that some have pierced themselves with many a pain. I told you I'd finish on time. I've got three minutes. Let me just say this to you. I would expect our giving to dramatically change at the rock. Not that you're not giving enough or not that you're not doing well. I just would have guessed that, that if you understand, if, the, if this stuff is true that we've just re read, I would expect our giving to dramatically change at the rock. 
what we're going to see probably, and I don't look at it. I do get a report every Monday, and I delete it. I look at it, and I delete it. The report I get is how many people attend and how much money we received. And I delete it. I don't know. I don't follow it that closely. I've got Pastor Fred. He's wonderful at it. Does a good job. And Pastor Fred has Janetta, who he would die in a pile without her. We'll see how seriously we all take God at his word. We will find how many of us will find true contentment. We will learn how to be content. We will learn the secret of being content, that we can handle all things through Christ who strengthens us. We'll see how many of us really, really believe God at his word. How many of us will, will understand that, that the Lord is the one who makes rich and the Lord is the one who makes poor. We'll see how many of us believes that those who scatter will increase all the more. How many of us believe give and it will be given to you? Father in heaven, I do not want to make this an issue about receiving money at this church. But I do, Father, want to make this an issue of being, of at least teaching how we might be content and blessed, blessed immeasurably by how we treat those things that we receive. The whole idea, Father, of the cycle of giving is critical within each of our lives. We receive from you, Father, for a purpose and a reason. You give to us what you give to us to see how faithful we are, whether we'll give back to you in return. I pray, Father, that we would trust you, of all people, that we would trust you with our lives and our contentment and with the finances that you have given us, Father. Lord, bless this wonderful, wonderful church. Bless these wonderful people. I pray that their Thanksgiving was just, just the best time in their lives. And I pray that this coming Christmas season will be a time of great, great, great joy. Thank you, Father, for uh, this church, these, these people I consider my family. I thank you for each one of them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.